Well, it's Advent season, and we are talking about BCAD, what changed? Uh, what changed in the world because Jesus came 2,000 years ago? But I got to thinking, what if nobody knows? What if nobody cares? What if any changes that Jesus came, brought into this world have been so interwoven into our culture that we don't even notice that they're here? What difference does it make? I was thinking about that as I was driving uh, here uh, over the 118 freeway through the pass, uh, and I thought, you know, most of us drive that freeway uh, into the valley either every day or every week, uh, and I wonder if any of us ever wonder, uh, wow, how things have changed on the 118 since somebody built it, you know, in the 70s. You know, what if somebody said to us, oh, you should have seen what changed before the 118 and after the 118. It, you should have seen it when it was just the Santa Susana Pass, two-lane road. Uh, you know, what if somebody said, hey, come hear a talk on before and after. How many of us would go? Eh, not many. <laughs> at a couple at the other service, they said, we'd go. I'm like, okay, well, there you go. You, you proved the rule, right? But uh, here's the thing. We would go if it was going to make a difference today. If you're going to tell us something about driving over the 118 this week, oh, we're there because that's important for our lives. And I was thinking uh, this week, I was at a Starbucks, had my headphones in, and I was trying to work on the sermon, and I just was stuck. I had no enthusiasm for it. And, and I realized I can't preach a sermon on BCAD, what changed. I need to preach a sermon on what changed and what difference does it make today. What's happening in our lives because of what changed? Now, let me tell you, you could spend an entire university course semester on what changed because Jesus came. And we're going to touch on three of those things briefly today. But I think more importantly or as importantly is what difference does it make today because Jesus came, difference that it makes in our lives. And if we aren't careful, we can be the obstacle that keeps people from knowing and experiencing Jesus today. And I know that because I came this close to being that obstacle. I was at a two-day training retreat or conference, and uh, there were only 12 people uh, participating. Uh, and it was on uh, a, a thing called Crucial Conversations. Great book um, and uh, works when you have conflict or challenges and how do you have good conversation. So uh, the first hour, we went around and introduced ourselves. There were 11 HR professionals and one pastor. <laughs> there were 11 senior leaders from hospitals, not, uh, uh, government agencies, universities, large corporations, and one church, right? And so uh, highly qualified people. And uh, after the first hour, the facilitator said, now what we're going to do is in a minute, I'm going to have you get up and move around, and I want you to choose a partner that you are going to work with for the rest of the two days, and uh, in that first hour, I'd already figured out there were a few people I didn't want to partner with <laughs> for two days. 
And there were some others who had come together, and you could tell they were going to group up. So there was one person that I thought, wow, I would really be happy to partner with them. So as soon as the facilitator said go, I made a beeline to that person, and, and I said, would you be my partner? Now, this was a very interesting response. They kind of looked at me, and it was a mixture of surprise and curiosity and defensiveness. And then they didn't say anything. And that, uh, you know, that uncomfortable moment when, when the beat, you know, it, the, it just a little too long. And I'm starting to think, I'm going to get stuck with one of those people I don't want. <clears throat> and then that person finally said, sure. Not, not a resounding affirmation. So, uh, so we, we spent the day together. We talked. We interacted. All those kinds of things. And then as people were packing up to go, uh, we both realized that along with several others, um, all of us were spending the night in different hotels around the area and coming back the next day. So I said to them, would you like to have dinner? And after six hours of t being together, that same look came over their face. Surprise, um, uh, curiosity, and defensiveness. And they said, sure. <laughs> okay. So we went and uh, we had uh, dinner. And as we were ordering dessert, they looked me in the eye and told me something about themselves. And it doesn't matter what it was. Because there's any number of things someone could tell a Christian that would be uncomfortable for them. That would make, uh, in, in certain situations, them feel judged. Them feel like, oh, I, I don't belong. Uh, somehow criticized. Uh, and so they looked me right in the eye and said this. And uh, I must have passed a test or something. Because the conversation changed after that. Uh, they said, you know, I haven't been to church in 25 years. And the last time I was in church, I was not welcome. And any time I've met Christians ever since, I did not feel welcome in their presence. And so when I attended an event for HR professionals, and there's one pastor in the room, and that pastor walks up to me and says, uh, would you be my partner? I got to tell you my first reaction was, heck no. And that wasn't the word he used. <laughs> and, uh, but they said, as I was thinking, uh, a thought came into my head. Try it. So I said, sure. And then when you said, let's have dinner, uh, same reaction. And the thought came into my mind, try it. And then uh, halfway through dinner, that thought came back into my mind again and said, try it. And so I told you this about myself. And I didn't feel unwelcome. And you didn't reject me. Now, I just want to say, I am haunted by this story. You should be terrified by this story. Because I did nothing. I said nothing. I had no idea that there was anything going on. And what haunts me is not what I said or did, but what I might have said or done that would have been the next 
unwelcoming experience of a Christian in a long line of them for that person. So uh, they said, thank you for, for giving me a positive experience of a Christian. Which, yay, that's good. But uh, the point is not pat myself on the back because I did nothing. But here's the thing. We cannot hide that we are Christians. You can take the fish stickers off your bumper. You can take the crosses out of your ears or around your neck. You, don't, you cannot mention that we're, you're a Christian, but people will find out. You want to know why? Because what we believe is true. Jesus Christ came to this earth because God is love. Because Jesus does love the little children, all the children of the world. Because the Holy Spirit is still at work in the world, challenging people, calling them to faith, calling them to experience God. And who does he have to use in the world today? Us. So I'm telling you, God is going to out you as a Christian. God is going to be the one. Now, uh, you know, God had a little help with me because I stood up and said I'm a pastor. But, but still, that was not the role I was playing. And, uh, and this person had that impact. People are going to find out that we are followers of Jesus. And God is going to use us to make a difference because something changed. Many things changed when Jesus lived. And so much of it has been wrapped up into culture and society that we don't even notice it anymore. But it's there. We have the responsibility and opportunity to live differently. And that difference is primarily in the value of people. The value of people around us. Because the things that Jesus changed were about people. Uh, and so briefly, I have three things Jesus changed. And every one of these deserves a lot of time and energy. We're just going to touch on them. The first one is Jesus made children visible. Made children visible. So here's a, here's a story. Here's a picture. I, I, I really enjoy looking at you know, old classic art uh, because uh, for one reason, I am pretty sure the, the, the time it happened looked nothing like this at all. And there were no white children present in, you know, when it happened. But here they are, and, uh, and Jesus, this is the blessing of the children. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. That is radical uh, change. You think uh, seen and not heard is, is a phrase that is still used today? Back in the day, in the ancient world, children were routinely left to die of exposure, just laid out, uh, or sold into slavery if the parents couldn't afford to have them, couldn't feed them, or didn't want them. And Jesus came and challenged that, uh, and his treatment of children and his teaching about children led to the forbidding of such practices so that nations passed laws against it because Jesus came. Wow. And uh, we began to see orphanages formed because children were valued. God came and when Jesus came, he showed that the value of human beings. Uh, Godparents began to develop because there needed to be people to take care of children, even if parents couldn't. 
A Norwegian scholar named Baki studied the impact of Jesus and his followers on how people saw children. And his book is simply titled, When Children Became People. The birth of childhood in early Christianity. Childhood came about through Christ. Before that, who knows? Childhood, with all we know about it, our care, our love, our hope for children began with Jesus. And secondly, Jesus elevated women. Jesus elevated women. Here's another one of these pictures. Uh, this is Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. I'm pretty sure he didn't look like that and she didn't look like that. Uh, and there were no guys in armor behind her either. So, <clears throat> But anyway, Jesus... Uh, we're going to touch on that in a minute, but Galatians 3.28 says, There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That should do it. That we shouldn't have to have any more. That should do it. There's neither male nor female. We are all the same in Christ. Uh, we have not achieved that in the world or in the church. But no one has altered the role of women in society more than Jesus. Prior to the New Testament times, Women labored in harsh, subservient roles um, and were often nothing more than slaves to men and their families. The Greek philosopher Cicero, who I have come to love to quote. I started last week quoting Cicero because he's such a great whipping boy, whipping post, you know. It's like, uh, if you want to find something bad, quote Cicero. He, he's a philosopher, Greek philosopher, who lived before Jesus, just a little bit before and was assassinated in 43 BC. And when you read the stuff he wrote, said, it's like, how did he live that long? Um, <clears throat> so he compared women to slaves, and I won't repeat what else. It's so offensive, I can't even say it, even if I said quote, unquote. So you can look him up. But uh, before Jesus, women were perceived as possessions that could be used and cast away. And Jesus changed that. As I said, the world does not come around to this completely, and neither has the church. Uh, but the world changed with respect to women. Things are different because Jesus came. And I understand that to raise the topic of women and, challenging, and challenges is dangerous, especially for a white male in authority. Wow. Um, but in one situation, Jesus was a male in authority, with power over life and death in the life of this one woman. And that's what we read in John 8. It says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? There is so much wrong with that statement, with that rendering. It's unbelievable how many bad things are going on in that entire... Uh, but Jesus said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Wow. So before we say what Jesus did, let's, let's look at what he didn't do. Jesus did not see her as that crowd saw her, upon to be used for his own purposes. He did not judge her. He did not ask her to share your story so that I, in my authority and power, can make a decision about you. 
uh, Jesus did not weigh his options or make his decision based on what his supporters or uh, even his opponents would think. So what did he do? Jesus looked at and saw a human being worth protecting, worth risking his own reputation for. Jesus' uh, teaching and example reconfirmed the truth that in every way, from the time God created women and men, he created them equal. Equal worth in God's sight. So Jesus changed the way the world understands children, made them visible, changed the way the world understands women. And thirdly, Jesus welcomed the other. Welcomed the other. So this is a picture of Jesus and uh, a beggar, a crippled person, and Jesus engaged that person differently than everyone else. <clears throat> and in Romans 13, we read the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be, they're summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love your neighbor. So doesn't this, a verse like this that says, love your neighbor, doesn't that tempt us to ask, want to ask the question, so who's my neighbor? Don't ask that. <laughs> Somebody asked Jesus that. And we got the whole story of uh, the Good Samaritan. And what's the, what's the point of the Good Samaritan? Who's your neighbor Everyone, but mostly those in need that you can help. You want to know who your neighbor is? It's the person in need that you can help. That's the other. That's the new teaching of the other. But I got to tell you, it's not exactly new because it was in the Old Testament and Jesus is quoting it. So <clears throat> in Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and it says, the alien who resides with you shall be to you as the citizen among you. You shall love the alien as yourself. You were, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. How about that? We use that term, right? Alien, citizen. And I think we use it differently than Leviticus and Jesus did. He said, the alien who resides among you should be treated as a citizen. Well, we're not in ancient uh, Israel or in Egypt, but these are the things that Jesus began to use to change how we look at others. Who are others? Everyone not like us. Uh, neighbors are those who need help. And um, Christmas is a great time to recognize the other because do you know who were the other in that story? The shepherds. Now here's this interesting thing. Shepherds were not insiders. Shepherds were outsiders. And the angels came to the shepherds first. The very first people to be told about Jesus and the first ones to see him were shepherds. Let's take a look. It says, when the angels had left uh, them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So shepherds were poor, uneducated, uh, uncultured 
people in that community. If you were to be walking down a street with your family and shepherds were walking the other way, you would be very tempted to cross the street, to not engage and to avoid shepherds. Wow, who knew that? We thought they were just the pictures that we see of them. And um, uh, shepherds were so untrustworthy that they could not be called as witnesses in a legal uh, situation. Who did Jesus, who did God call as witnesses for his birth? Shepherds. How about that? That is that, uh, ironic. That, that, is, that, is, that is, before he could walk, before he could speak, Jesus is changing the world with regard to the other. You think there are people who are unworthy, who aren't valued? We're calling them first. The angels are going to show up to them. How many people did angels show up to? Mary, Joseph, and, and shepherds. Wow. <clears throat> the other is everyone, not like us. And Jesus calls them neighbors. Jesus was not afraid of calling others into his service. Tax collectors couldn't get any further out than tax collectors. There's a silly example, but it bears repeating a little story uh, of Jesus choosing the 12, mostly outsiders, uh, to carry his message of the gospel. So I don't know if you've heard this. This is a letter that was discovered um, long ago in the catacombs somewhere. Uh, to Jesus, son of Joseph, wordcrafter, uh, woodcrafter's carpenter shop, Nazareth, from Jordan Management Consultants. <clears throat> Dear sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organization. The profiles of all tests are included, and you will want to study each of them carefully. As part of our service, we make some general comments for your guidance. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you are undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience and managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questionable attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel that it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, definitely have radical leanings, and they both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He is a man of ability, resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He is highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory. Wish you every success in your new venture. Sincerely, Jordan Manager Of course, Jesus called uh, outsiders, those who weren't capable. Why would he call capable people? Then all of us are off the hook, right? Well, you know, I mean, look at the 12. We could never be like the 12. Oh, yeah, you can. Wake up. Get up out of bed in the morning. You're, you're as qualified as the 12. It's us. It's up to us. Um, 
Not only did Jesus invite outsiders to follow them, he then told them and us, love your enemies, do good, lend, expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons and daughters of the Most High. That's a high standard. Love your enemies. Wow. So what changed because Jesus lived? The world's understanding of children, of women, of outsiders, enemies, others. It sure seems like there's room for us. Uh, but there is no room for us, them thinking. We kind of have to lose it. There is no us and them. There's just all of us and Jesus. Unfortunately, those are not the standards that leaders, uh, even Christian leaders, are living up to. So what are we to do? I go back to that person from my training. I'm so glad that they had a positive experience of God and not one more bad one because of me. And I hope that the changes Jesus made in the world, like the ones we've been talking about, are still active, that they're still changing lives. And they, those changes, and we uh, will be changed if we are willing to see children and women and others as Jesus saw them. So I have just a simple next step for us. Uh, I started practicing it this morning. I want you to just think of Five children, five women, and five others who aren't related to you. And pray for them this week. Pray for five children, five women, and five others every day this week. Here's what will happen. By the end of the week, you'll be praying for them differently than you did at the beginning. God will have brought them new things to your mind about each of these people. Why? Because he values them. Because we're his children and we're the only ones he's going to be able to use best in order to accomplish his work. And if we're praying for people, he'll begin to work with us as well. So let us not be the ones who are the obstacle in the way of others experiencing the change that Jesus wants to make. Let us be the vehicle of change. Let's pray.